You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. It's so wonderful to share this time of sitting together with you. It's a really special time that we come together and share this space. Think of all of the thousands of other things that could be happening right now in your life. And you have made this wonderful decision to come here and sit together. So, so wonderful. I am so grateful to share this time of sitting together with you. It's very, very special. And I want you to acknowledge that within your life, you have made time for this, time for true spiritual practice. It's a really wonderful, wonderful opportunity. There are so many other distractions and things that are happening in the life situation that to carve out this special time for really deep uh, meditation and a nice long sit is something very, very special. So just take a moment and really acknowledge that work that you've put in. As we acknowledge the work that we've put in, we must also acknowledge the work that has been put in for us by generations of meditators and spiritual practitioners who've come before us. None of us would be sitting here today if it weren't for our teachers and for the long list of yoga practitioners, meditators, and other spiritual seekers who've gone on the age-old quest for spiritual awakening. So we have to really think about that, that we sit here today and recognize our own efforts And in the recognition of our own efforts, we also keep a firm eye in the recognition and a great honor to those who come before us. And this is something that can't be overstated. It's something we have to be thinking of each time we take benefit from the practice. Because every sitting should ideally help you feel a little more peaceful, a little happier. There should be a little more kindness. It should make a difference in your day. And every time you take benefit and you feel, oh, this has made a positive impact on my life, then I think it's very, very useful to simultaneously take a look back and see, why am I benefiting? What is this this wonderful gift I've received? Who gave it to me? Oh, yes, I made time for this practice. Wonderful. But I'm receiving this gift. If we go all the way back, If it were not for the Buddha, none of us would be here today. And this was 2,000 years ago. One human individual has gone on a quest whose work is impacting us now more than 2,000 years later. The Buddha would not have been the Buddha had he not been born in India in an atmosphere of spiritual practitioners when he went and studied with the great sadhanas and sadhakas and spiritual practitioners of that day going to study with the swamis and the yogis and the yogins of that day in order to go on and embark in his own quests. So even if 
One does not consider themselves a yogi, but considers themselves a meditator. Meditation or mindfulness is the main path. That person, too, has a thankfulness to give to the yogis of India from thousands and thousands of years ago. Because without them, the Buddha would not have been able to be the Buddha. Hmm. Born in India, going and embarking upon the quest of awakening. The story, the life story of the Buddha includes working with every available spiritual practitioner, practice, and teacher that was available in the time of the Buddha. But the Buddha uh, was on the quest for personal direct experience of, you know, ultimate peace. And then ultimately, you know, found this wonderful teaching of the meditation practice and, uh, that we have today. Now, even though we bear great thanks to our teachers and the true saintly people that have walked on this path thousands of years ago, particularly with the Buddha. The Buddha's teaching was that he was not a god, but a human being who walked the path. And the foundation of his teaching was simple. If I have attained liberation, you can too. And this was a revolution, you could say, because the qualification to enter the teaching of the Buddha was simple. Are you willing to practice? And it is said that that single shift to place the burden of desire to enter the spiritual path on the heart of a student sort of created an egalitarian or more equal playing field for who was qualified to be a spiritual practitioner. But up until that time, there were different uh, sort of categories and different subsets of society that were sort of relegated to different types of spiritual practice. But the Buddha, in some ways, was a revolutionary and said, every living being that desires to be free of suffering, if that living being is willing to work for their own liberation, then that being has a right to be on the path. And I think this is wonderful, really, really wonderful. Because then we cannot say, oh, it's only someone from this religion or that religion or this subset of society or that subset of society, not this gender, not that gender, not this color of skin, that color of skin, this size, this shape, this age, something like that. No, just the person who has a true desire to do the work, that person is qualified to do the spiritual practice. And it is actually said that this revolutionary teaching of the Buddha greatly influenced the teaching of yoga. Because yoga, out of the what is considered to be orthodox schools of traditional Indian philosophy, so what that means is when you're an orthodox school, when you hear the words an orthodox school of Indian philosophy, this means a philosophy which has originated within India and accepts the epistemological or knowledge framework of what is called the Vedas. The Vedas are the oldest sort of living uh, document, uh, written text in the human uh, history and also the foundational uh, spiritual teaching of the Sanatana Dharma, the foundational teaching of the Hindu faith, you could say. So then uh, yoga is an orthodox school of Indian philosophical thought, which means it is, uh, it is definitively positioned within that larger philosophical context, accepting the epistemology of the Vedas, accepting that as its foundation. Uh, there is one very important, pivotal uh, sort of distinguishment in the philosophy of yoga within that context. And that uh, key philosophical principle is that anybody who can practice yoga is qualified to practice yoga. And so it is an emphasis on personal practice. 
And the idea is also that the deepest truth, and this is something that comes in many of the traditional yoga teachings, is that the deepest truth is only available to those who directly experience it through the vehicle of practice. And this emphasis on personal practice is said to have arisen in dialogue and intersection with the teaching of the Buddha. So this is also very, very interesting, I think. So we have this one revolutionary shift from, you know, one great sort of spiritual master, the Buddha. And then that realization is impacting the tradition around which he arose. And even though Buddhism uh, was ended up getting mostly uh, disseminated and practiced in the other countries of um, Asia and uh, that in, within India, the traditional practice of the more um, orthodox uh, spiritual practices like yoga and other practices that follow the more traditional faiths within India has you know stayed stayed with the strong roots there. We can really look at the in the, that time of Patanjali and that time of the Buddha. This wonderful kind of coexistence and. Uh, intersection of these two great paths of awakening. And now we are here today in this wonderful world where we can partake in the, this great teaching that has been passed on from generation to generation, generation to generation. And I really like to talk about this because we live in this um, contemporary world where sometimes we think that these teachings have just materialized right now. You know, we treat it as though it's new, as though this is something that, you know, is, is new and we take it for ourselves. But there is no taking. There is only what you could consider tending. And this is different. We cannot take this meditation. We cannot take yoga and make it our own, put it in through one permutation or another. But we can tend to what you could consider to be the continuation of the lineage of yoga, the lineage of meditation. We cannot go in and suddenly um, take it and modify this and modify that and remove the foundational elements of the practice. Instead, what we can do is make sure that we are taking care of it, that we are tending to it, as we would tend to a garden, that this is borrowed. We are here for what? Maybe if we're lucky, 100 years. Okay, so if we're really lucky, maybe, or maybe unlucky, depending on how you look at it, you know? So we have, you know, maximum, you say 100 years, maybe there's for a few people that live 106, 120, even, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we should be so lucky to make it to 100, right? Within these 100 years, this is a blip on the history of the planet. This is 100 years out of the more than 2,000 years since the life of the Buddha. Now, what we can do is make sure that this teaching gets passed on to the next generation who also has maybe maximum 100 years to look after this, much like we're looking after the planet. What can we do to the planet? We cannot take the planet and divide it up and here and there, dig over here, dig over there. I mean, that's what we are doing, but maybe we cannot continue that. Obviously, there is an end to that. So what we can think about is that there is this wonderful tradition that we've stepped onto. We have this because we have a teacher and our teachers had a teacher. So we can tend this. And here are some ways that the student can take care of the lineage. Number one, you keep practicing. Simple. It's wonderful. Just keep practicing. Don't give it up. You do the best honor to the lineage of yoga and meditation and the spiritual disciplines which come from the ancient Eastern culture of India 
by simply practicing, practicing with a, in a very particular mindset with, without leaving the mindset of appropriation and entering the mindset of care and understanding to understand that in the pure aspect of practice, we are in many ways tending to this knowledge. So practice, practice, practice. Second, and this is also somehow very important to think about, how can you as the student, me as the student, take care of this sacred knowledge? The second, the second thing to think about is to maintain a sense of gratitude for those who have come before us. Think back to who the first person is that exposed you to the teaching of meditation. Who was the first person? I can think of the first person that told me, you know, you should take meditation. Very long time ago, I had uh, an, an ex-boyfriend who said, Kino, you should take meditation. And I think maybe he was perhaps self-interested because maybe he thought she'll calm down a little bit. I don't know what his motivation was, but he said to me, you should take meditation. I was already doing yoga and he said, you should take meditation. And he had been meditating for a long time. He was a person that, you know, he had just been, he found his, his, um, uh, parents' meditation uh, tapes when he was five years old. And to entertain himself, he would play the meditation tapes that his parents were listening to. What a very interesting child, you must think, for those of you that have five-year-olds. Imagine if your five-year-old, to entertain themselves, were to go and play meditation tapes all afternoon. Now, that is a very unique child. So anyhow, my ex-boyfriend said to me, you know, you should take meditation. I've been meditating since I was five years old. and think it would benefit you very much. And I uh, remember saying to him, you know, uh, I appreciate that you want me to take meditation, but I cannot meditate. My response to him was, I have too many thoughts. I close my eyes and I'm thinking of this and thinking of that. And I'm going here and I'm going there. And if you ask me to sit still, I cannot sit still because I have itches all over my body. I try to sit still and my ear itches and then my nose itches and then my toes itch. And then if they're not itching, then they're falling asleep. They're doing this. They're doing that. And then he said to me, you know, please just, just five minutes, let's sit together. You know, the relationship ended. I'm obviously, I have I've been married to a wonderful man who's never suggested that I meditate because I was already meditating when I met him. So maybe that one's the keeper. And then, um, is it the meditation or was it that he didn't try to make me do some weird practice? I don't know. So many other reasons. So, so now, um, uh, but if I think back now, I can think that, oh, this person was a wonderful man. He has introduced me to meditation. Had he not said that to me, I don't know. Maybe I would not have started meditating. When the relationship ended, I kept sitting. I started sitting five minutes a day, five minutes a day, five minutes a day. Eventually, I started speaking to other people that were also sitting, even though they were doing asana practice. I met some friends who were following the Tibetan path of Buddhism, some that took uh, oh, a friend, one friend of mine that ultimately took full renunciation vows to follow the path of the monk. And I was entering into long, silent, uh, solitary retreats in remote locations in the north of India. And I have eventually myself joined some meditation retreats probably something like eight silent meditation retreats of between you know three and 10 days, which are really wonderful and transformative. But in all of this, I have to think back, okay, who has introduced me to this? I have to always be thankful to that person, even though definitely things have changed. I'm no longer with my ex-boyfriend, you know, which has its own blessings. And then if we think about that, it's so easy to forget your first teacher. It's so easy to forget Oh, I, even though 
I have now moved on, even though I'm not practicing with this person anymore, even though you may yourself at some moment feel that you have moved on, that you're ready to move on, ready to turn the page, do your own thing, this or that. There's always the second thing that the student can always think about is I'm always going to honor my first teachers because without them, I wouldn't be here. Think of the first person who said, hey, do you want to come to a yoga class? Hey, you want to join this meditation class? You should try this. Then you sat there. Wonderful. Maybe you saw it in a video. Maybe you were just uh, looking for kittens on YouTube. And then suddenly a meditation video popped up and you said, oh, that looks interesting. I'll watch it. It's filmed on a beach. Let me see what's going on. And then you thought, let me, let me try this. All right, let's do it. Or maybe they introduced it to you in your workplace or your job or something like that. Regardless, this is what's considered to be a sacred bond between teacher and student. So we have this second way that we can honor the tradition that comes, which is to honor our teachers. No matter if the teacher is imperfect, definitely all the teachers are imperfect. No, very few perfect human beings have walked this planet. You know, maybe one of the last ones was known for walking on water, but we haven't seen so many since then. You know, now we're here uh, to cut the joke on that. Great. If not, that's okay too. <laughs> so if, uh, if we think about uh, honoring the teachers, and this is very much to go back to what the Buddha said. Buddha said, I'm not a God. I'm a human being. I have attained this realization. You too can attain the realization if only you practice. Well, in this way, our teachers have lit a little bit of the path for us, but it doesn't mean that they know the end. And it doesn't mean that they are, um, you know, that they're the perfect being. Instead, the notion is that we are all on the path together and that the teacher and the student are part of a whole. And that whole, it makes the journey complete, that teaching and learning are sort of two sides of the same coin, that the practice of teaching helps the teacher grow, just as the practice of learning helps the student grow. So we can always be very thankful, very humble, very much in gratitude to our first teachers, whoever those teachers were. My very first yoga class, I don't know the teacher's name. I walked in and I'm, I, think of, I think of that class very, very often because if I had not walked into that class, if that teacher had not been a holding space, then maybe I wouldn't have stepped onto the path for many years. I'm so grateful for that wonderful opportunity. So this always brings in this notion of, again, humility. So if we think, how can I honor this practice? Number one, I keep practicing. Number two, we keep an eye on the past in gratitude to the teachers who've come before us, whether that teacher we know directly, whether that teacher we know remotely. And then we think about, really just think about what has been done, on whose shoulders we stand on this great vantage point of spiritual practice. And I think this is something to keep all of us very, very real, very humble, and very committed to keep doing the work you know, of the spiritual practice to show up on, you know, an afternoon and take our attention away from the busyness of life and go into a very quiet and introspective space. I know it keeps me inspired to see you coming onto the meditation cushion, onto the mat and practicing. And that gives me motivation to continue the journey. So I am personally grateful and each day I also think about, again, my first teachers, whether the people who introduced me to yoga or meditation and those whom I take great benefit from and are in the sort of contemporary time timeline as well. Now, this methodology of honoring 
uh, the, the lineage of the spiritual practice in which we take great benefit is sometimes directly oppositional to um, the paradigm that particularly in you know, North America um, we operate from, which is how can I get something? You know, how can I uh, take this meditation and then repackage it into some product that then I can offer here? Or how can I sort of take it and make it my own? How do I find my voice and give my contribution and, and these sorts of things? And I want to share with you one, one story that my yoga teacher uh, shared uh, with a friend of mine. And then I think we have a little bit of time for any questions. If you'd like to uh, pop those into the chat, I'll be able to take a look at them. So my yoga teacher, uh, a student of his, a friend of mine, asked him, you know, what have you given? What unique contribution have you made to the, the practice of yoga? You know, here you are, you've been teaching for all these years. You are a master of yoga. What, what, what is your signature that we can find on the, you know, lineage of yoga? What is your unique contribution? And uh, at first, my teacher just brushed off the question, didn't answer. Sometimes he wouldn't answer the question. Mm, make some noise, not answer the question. Then my, you know, my, my friend was very persistent. She said, no, you got to want to know what is what's your signature mark you know what's the the move that's going to be named after you you know in the tradition of yoga where you're going to put your copyright mark on you know what uh, what's your unique contribution finally my teacher turned around and um you know, said my friend's name and kind of annoyed and said and just sort of said me yoga you want to know what i have given to yoga I said yeah that's what i want to know what's your signature move, you know? And then he started laughing and he said, me, given to yoga, I telling you, nothing, 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 not a single thing. I have given nothing. Yoga existed before me. Yoga existed after me. Me, nothing. Think about that paradigm versus the paradigm of, you know, our contemporary kind of capitalist world where everybody is interested in this is my signature move and this is what I've added in and this is my copyrighted this and my branded this and branded that and you know we have some of those I think I think someone um branded the phrase Mick mindfulness where you know everyone's kind of manufacturing like a sort of cookie cutter version of you know mindfulness in this way so just think about the difference of paradigm rather than from the perspective of what is my unique signature to change the paradigm of how can I care for this so that this sacred object makes it to the next generation intact? How can I take care of this? And how can I honor those who have come before me rather than how can I take and appropriate this for myself and my own good and put my mark on it? My mark, what are we? You know, dogs in the park claiming our territory. You know what I mean? So we, we can, I think about that a lot. And I feel like my teacher was humble enough to say that he gave nothing. There's no signature move that he did, you know, then, then what about the rest of us? You know, definitely. We're also in the nothing category. We should hope to take such good care of what knowledge we've received. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to. Take a look in the in the in the chat to see what's going on. Okay, I see one question. So Guru has a question, which I'll read for everyone now. Guru says, I feel like a new person after sitting between 20 to 30 minutes with meditation, but I find it hard to find time every day to sit this amount of time. 
I feel like five minutes just doesn't give me this calmness afterwards. So I end up just doing nothing. I don't have time for the full 20 to 30 minutes. What can I do to motivate myself to do less and be happy with that? So very, very good question. Normally what this is, it's called an all or nothing type of thinking. I'm either going to do it all or nothing. Now I'll tell you, this is not unique only to meditation. I tell you, there's when you take a full 90 minute yoga practice, wow, does your body just feel wow. And then the next day you wake up and you think, I wish I could do it again. Oh, but I can't. I have this meeting. I have these, you know, this job I have to do. I have this family I have to take care of. Yesterday, I took special time off to do this 90-minute practice. Oh, forget it. I only have 40 minutes. I won't bother. You know, so this is all or nothing thinking. I only do 20 to 30 minutes or I do nothing. So this is also called perfectionism. And when we're very perfectionistic, when we have these perfect pictures of what meditation and yoga should look like, should be like this or should not do it. I'm either going to do the 30 minutes and I'm going to feel, oh, I enter into the deep state or do nothing. Let me tell you that as little as five minutes has been scientifically verified to make a shift in the quality of your mind. So if you're thinking, I do nothing because I can't sit the 20 to 30 minutes to make a deep shift, we want to go back to the verifiable a benefit of five minutes is the minimum amount of time to make a difference. Now, of course, the more you sit, the more the benefits accumulate, but it's more important to keep the consistency of just showing up every day and accumulate that. That consistency will, it will over time, make more time, which sounds strange. Just coming back to the mat for five minutes a day will by itself open up a portal for more minutes to suddenly start appearing in your day. And that's a kind of like a magic thing that happens because you get more efficient. Other things start happening that will give you that time. Your family starts seeing that there's benefit when you sit there. So then they start encouraging you to take more time sitting, you know, so suddenly there's more support for that. So celebrate the five minutes. And when you notice I'm engaging in all or nothing thinking, I either want the 30 minutes of meditation or I want the two hours of sweaty yoga or nothing recognize this is all or nothing thinking and then sit for five minutes. And now you're working on two obstacles. Number one, you're working on just the natural obstacles that arise within any sort of spiritual practice. And then number two, you're working on the obstacle of all or nothing thinking, which appears so often in our lives and included in that all or nothing thinking is of course, working on our perfectionism, which is a great thing to soften the edges around. Because as soon as we're too perfectionistic about things, then that kind of, well, it kind of ruins our whole life sometimes. Okay. Let's see. There I see perhaps another question in the chat. Hmm. So Teresa has a question. Hi, Teresa. Thanks for joining. Teresa says, in my asana practice, I have started to do dropbacks. And I don't know if it's related, but ever since I get so overwhelmed by my emotions in everyday life, not so much in asanas and beginning to find more calm. But as soon as I get off the mat, I feel so overwhelmed and the skills I'm practicing on the mat are no longer available. Do you have any advice on how to deal with that? First of all, Teresa is totally normal. Life is difficult. And when we do something like deep backbending or sometimes when we do deep metta also, like we do long metta practice where we generate compassion and kindness for others, we feel so permeable, so open 
when we go off of the map. We just feel, oh, I want, you know, we just feel so open to everything. So that all those things which we thought didn't bother us before, suddenly we feel, oh, this bothers me. Oh, this also bothers me. Oh, this bothers me. I want to cry right now, whether for good or bad. You know, it can be good or bad. Not all crying is bad. You know, sometimes we're overwhelmed with the beauty of the situation. We start crying. <sighs> and then it's like a commercial for, you know, Airbnb. I don't know if you see Airbnb now starts to have these very sentimental commercials. You know, this is the first time I've seen my daughter's face since two years because we rented this Airbnb in the mountains. And it's so, it's so sentimental. You're like, <laughs> you know, so if you're really kind of have that open-heartedness, you can start kind of crying, it's so beautiful. And then there's also, of course, like, are we a little more sensitive? Now, here's the thing. We think that those sensitivities were not there before, but they were there before. We were always that sensitive. We were always that mushy inside. We just didn't realize it because the protective layers of what we do to protect ourselves and what we've learned as personality, all those layers have just been kind of accumulated and, and packaged onto the outside of ourselves so that we, um, we think that it didn't, we didn't feel it before, but we, were, we felt it. We were just unconscious of it before. So the path is to become more conscious of it and then to really try to apply the skills that you learn in your meditation practice and on your mat into your everyday life. Which means that if you need a moment when you're getting overwhelmed with something to pause and say, I'm getting really overwhelmed right now. I need a few moments. Hopefully the situation will allow you to take those moments. Or you can start applying the actual skills of meditation and yoga in that very moment. So what does that look like? If you're in, you know, say you're in a, you know, a business meeting and something someone says, makes you get like the lights up some, you know, feelings of reactivity Well, you can squeeze your mula bandha in that moment, exactly in that moment. It's a wonderful thing that no one needs to know you're doing. You can quietly control your breath, taking a deeper breath, and you can apply the technique of meditation. You can be aware of the sensations and feel, what do I feel right now? I feel burning sensations in my back. I feel heating sensations. I feel disturbed breathing. Now let me squeeze Mula Bandha and I'm going to count my breath in and out. Here's one in, one out, two in, two out. I have applied this exact technique in difficult situations. You know, I've somehow had some uh, difficult conversations where I'm feeling very, you know, bothered by the conversation. And in that moment, rather than reacting, I do that. I'll squeeze the Mula Bandha focus on what I'm feeling, and then consciously breathe in, breathe out, being aware so that I'm registering my emotions moment by moment. Oh, now I'm feeling heating sensations. This feels like anxiety is arising. Of course, if I ever feel that I actually need a moment, I'll say I need a moment, I'm getting overwhelmed and that's okay. You know? So eventually I think part of what the goal is, is to be able to be alert and permeable so that you feel everything moment by moment and you don't close anything down. And the idea is that it's better to be conscious of the ways in which we're a mess than unconscious of the ways in which we're a mess, because it's consciousness that allows us to heal and grow. But if it's unconsciousness, then it's happening anyway. We're just not aware of it. Does that make sense? So I hope that that's helpful, but it's, um, it's a little bit of a journey and, you know, it can take a few years to kind of come to a, a still point. So in the meanwhile, what are you going to do? Keep practicing, keep meditating, and definitely keep doing your backbends. 
Because if you don't keep doing the backbends, then that lesson will always just be waiting there for you in the form of the backbends. So you got to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. There's that expression, you know, the only way out is, a, is through. So you got to keep going through whatever it is that you are going through. Mm-hmm. So I don't see any other uh, questions in the chat. So I think this is a good place for us to close our session today. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining. I, again, really, really appreciate it. And I just hope that each of you leave with that little bit of inspiration to keep practicing, keep doing the work, keep showing up. And if you have, you know, if you, if you want to send a little like appreciation to some of your first teachers, it's always useful to just send a little thank you note. And it's very, Hey, just want to let you know, I was thinking of you. Thanks for the practice. A good thing to do as well. Even your current teachers. Hey, thanks for showing up. I'm enjoying it. It's a good thing to do help share the love a little bit. So wonderful. I I hope you all take that little inspiration and keep practicing. I'll see you again real soon. Lots of love, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.